Muddy News Media. This news just in, listeners. The Athletic is extending its £1 a month offer for all new subscribers, meaning you can get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a brand new breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts for just a quid. This deal won't last forever, though, so don't miss out. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash scottishshow. Welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Coming up, 3-3 at a pulsating pitodry. The Covid crackdown continues and it's time to get a right good semi on. I'm Andrew Slavin and I'm joined by Jam Master JJ Poole of The Telegraph. Say hi JJ. What's good? Mm. <laughs> wow. Go. And from Motherwell Football Club, we've got Laura Brannan. Hi Laura. Hello, how are you? Uh, Incorrect. It's actually Stephen O'Donnell on the Zoom chat. <laughs> when we set the Zoom, we set the Zoom chat, and Stephen O'Donnell is joining. I was thinking, I don't remember setting up an interview with Stephen O'Donnell this time. <laughs> Laura Brannan hijacking the Motherwell laptop. And that is an insight into the producer duties at Motherwell because I'm having to rename my name on Zoom so I can do different edits and screen records. <laughs> Nobody's going to understand that, but that is the life of a producer. There you go. I know it well. Um, but let's let's chat about something where we all kind of fell out on in the week on WhatsApp. We were arguing Kimar Roof School against Standard Liège. Now I'll start off because I think I took it in the wrong way. I was told that Steven Gerrard said this was the best goal he had ever seen, but he actually did say it was the best goal he'd ever seen live. But um, what are your thoughts on this goal? Is this one of the best goals that has ever been scored? Why do you care so much about this? <laughs> there's no definitive. I don't like, care. I don't not care. Like I just set. told you I was I was I was missold the quote, and when I was told that Stephen Gerrard said this is the best goal I've ever seen, I just said whoa whoa whoa, calm down a minute. It yeah. can't be the best goal that's ever been scored. But obviously it's not, but everything is hyperbole now. It's the whole point of, like, everything has to be the best ever or the worst ever. Everyone speaks like this. So, and there's no award handed out. It's not official record <laughs> kept. Gerard was playing when, like, Luis Suarez scored those amazing goals against Norwich in the Premier League, all that stuff. I'm sure he's just trying to talk him up and give him a boost. And it was a good goal <laughs> at the time. It's a great goal at the time. I asked, I was trying to think what the best goal scored by a Scottish club in Europe was, which I think is... Yeah more apt for it. The best one I can think of watching, but not live in the stadium, but live for me was uh, Jamie Smith scoring the, like a 40-yard volley against Copenhagen. Ah, and that was, that was 4-0, Cup. wasn't it? It was. He come through to Smith. It does so. He's going for goal. That's an excellent I liked uh, Chris Sutton's when he scored against Juventus way, way back now, about 20 years ago. Um, he scored four a volley. Three game, the 4 3 game. The 4 3 game. He Sutton! Simply superb! My argument in our group chat debates over the weekend was there's different categories for different, like, best goals. It's not just yeah, yeah, an sure. outright best goal. You can have the most skillful goal. You can have the contextual, most important goal. You can have the most satisfying one to watch. You can have the most impressive goal. There's, there's so many different things to it. And, yeah, OK, Roof's wasn't the most important goal scored of all time. 
that's that's reserved for our winner against Serbia next month, obviously. <laughs> but it was visually very satisfying to watch. It was, I think it was skillful. Um, are you going to try and argue that it was a fluke? I don't think it was. No, but one one thing I did say was as much as it was a it was an awesome awesome goal and it's up there as one of the best that we'll remember in Scottish football. Um, but you see that in a Sunday league pitch. <laughs> Every Sunday, that's what I think. You know what I mean? You just kind of hoof it. This wasn't a Sunday game, though. No, no, and and, and, and that's unfair. That's unfair of me against the quality and the the level um, that this was being played at. I understand that. Um, But someone who does absolutely love this goal was Finn Marks. He said it was the best goal that was ever scored. But we're going to be speaking to him later on um, regarding what the SPFL are going to do next as we look ahead to the Scottish Cup semis also. But we'll start, first of all, with a stunning Sunday lunchtime. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. One minute of the added on three down as Lewis Ferguson steps up again. Five out of five penalties so far. Can Scott Bain prevent him here? Ferguson scores! And this game ends as it started with a Lewis Ferguson penalty. Yes, Lewis Ferguson rescuing a point for Aberdeen in the closing stages of Sunday's six-goal thriller with Celtic. Uh, What do you guys make of this game? A thriller. I really enjoyed this game. And yes, it wasn't exactly free-flowing, glamorous, beautiful football, but it was mm. entertaining. It was end-to-end. It was unpredictable. And that's, as a neutral watching that, that's exactly what I wanted to, to get out of it. And for it to go back and forth in terms of who was in the lead and the final outcome, I really enjoyed it. And it was probably one of my my second favourite game to watch of the weekend, obviously behind Motherwell's win. <laughs> it all kicked off in the second half, JJ. And um, your prediction almost came true. What did you say? Well, <laughs> you said to us in a group chat. I, I would just, I mean, it was obvious as soon as Aberdeen had a lead at 2-1 that at some point, uh, well, I, my prediction was that Duffy, who I've not been at all impressed with since he's come mm, in, yeah. uh, Duffy was going to score a goal in the 85th and then it would be some sort of Griffiths goal off a mistake in the 87th for Celtic to get a win and it would cut to Neil Lennon dancing in the stand and then the, the commentator would go, and Celtic always find a way! That kind of commentary, <laughs> it's always that. And it cuts to McInnes looking a bit annoyed. And it's it, it happens all the time. It always happens. But this is one of the reasons this game... I, I really enjoyed this game is that Aberdeen uh, didn't throw it all away. And the way the game played out, I thought it was really interesting. Like, I thought Aberdeen really held their own in the first half. Um, the system worked well. Celtic weren't really able to get it. And there was a couple of nervy times. And then the penalty, uh, totally deserved, I think, given the lead. The, uh, the cliche is that changes games if it's straight before half time, And I think it sort of did. Uh, but inevitably, Celtic managed to get an equaliser. At this high level, you make tiny, tiny mistakes that uh, result in goals for teams like Celtic. And you see Ash Taylor's body positioning is just slightly off now and again, so he gets turned inside out when McGregor is running through. It's a really well-constructed goal by Celtic, right through the middle of them. I think uh, yeah, Aberdeen could have done a bit better with it. But then the way the game turns, like Neil Lennon is moaning about the referee having a bad game. He's not even deflecting away from his players because he then throws them under a bus by saying they were naive and all this sort of stuff. But, um, the, the second goal that Celtic scored the equaliser should never have happened, clearly, because Cosgrove was fouled. And then as the Aberdeen players sort of get back into the defensive shape, because they had the ball, they were in possession, so it's in transition, they're going back into the defensive shape. They're not doing it quickly enough because I think everyone expects there to be a free kick. And in those two seconds where they're sort of watching to see what happens, that's when they're just open enough for the ball to go straight through the middle. 
And then Taylor, I think, doesn't read Griffiths going onto his left foot, which is always what he's going to do. Always going to put into his left foot. And again, his body positioning slightly off. And the goal goes in. And then, because they are sort of panicking, that allows uh, Celtic to go straight through them again. And there's a clear penalty. And they've got the lead. And then on, from then on, you think, well, that's the game done. But no! Well, no. And it's, it's funny you point out Ash Taylor and the mistake that he made for that. And I don't I think that was probably really a little harsh. bit harsh. I think it's really, really, really harsh. harsh I, I mean, what is it? It was seven. I think they did it in sports scene uh, at the weekend where they highlighted it was 17 seconds to put a, sh- a, a counter on from the foul to the goal being scored or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Shane Duffy on the other side was more uh, at fault for them to go 2 1 up. Um, Hedges scored. When Duffy should have cleared the ball and it gets nicked off off of him and Aberdeen go up the other end and score. And oh, just Cosgrove uh, hits a hit and bundles in, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just it's a real concern for Celtic where they have a, a centre half that's came up that played at a higher level and there's an, there's numerous players who have came to Scottish football who have played at a higher level and they come into Scottish football and they just do not perform at the levels required. Um, and I think Shane Duffy perfectly fits into that category. I've kind of called him out on it since he arrived at Celtic. I remember the Ross County game where he almost should have been sent off. He just seems really slow to react to, to certain situations. In particular, that one, he should have just hit it out. But he gets gets it nicked off of him. And um, it seems like Celtic really are missing some key, key players. It's so obvious. They need Julian back. They probably should have started Brown in this game. And they need Edward back because that focal point in the middle is just totally void. I think Duffy plays like he thinks he has more time in the ball than he actually does. And uh, I don't, I'm not trying to accuse him of this, but I, th- I wonder whether he thinks it'd be a bit easier than it has been so far. But he's coming to a team that isn't quite clicking. And uh, it's the system that Lennon's playing requires a lot of individual players to perform to make it work so it's meant to be very solid and individuals make things happen that's the system it's built so it's quite rigid but then individual players who are usually better than their opponents can do things but uh, I don't think the better players that Celtic have are either playing or playing very well so it's suffering a little bit just uh, well yeah they've, they've conceded eight goals in three games this week yeah that's what I was going to say it's a wee bit concerning from a Celtic perspective eight goals in three games is a lot I mean you, you can break it down and say look it's the opposition it's the team top of the league it's AC Milan in the European competition and Aberdeen's one of the biggest teams in the country as well but eight goals in three games is is, is worrying for, for Celtic and it could have been four as well on, on Sunday because Hedges had that chance right at the death to actually win it which if it wasn't for Bain blocking it that would have been a, a sensational late winner to cap off what was our amazing second half um, and that would have just been it would have turned the tables even more in terms of the, the atmosphere and the, the mentality right now at Celtic, I think. Because I think there's there's been a lot of talk of... I think it's fan talk more than anything of pressure on Neil Lennon, but if Celtic had conceded a fourth one, I think there would have been a, a lot more talk in that sense of, is he staying, is he going? <laughs> well, this is the thing. It's like um, some people over the last few weeks... Listen, Celtic have not played well at all this season. Um, and I've been winning a couple of games, and this is this has been that crisis week where um, I think it was said in commentary, like Tommy Burns and Billy McNeil had once said that if you don't win three games at Celtic, it's crisis point, and uh, <laughs> which is not the case for any other club <laughs> in Scottish football. Um, but the fact of the matter is, if fans were still in the stadium, I think it would be quite toxic at Celtic Park or even away from home. 
Uh, this talk of Lena Lennon getting binned, right? So sure enough, there might be other managers that can do more with it. And I think that the biggest change that Lennon's done is uh, take away what Brendan Rodgers put in a little bit, which was a very team... Um, everything was built around the team and built through constructing chances in a certain way, whereas Celtic now do it in a very different way. But it's worked in the past for Lennon and it probably will in the future. It's just having a little blip just now. If you change the manager, it tends to take about 18 months for you to really see that change come in. Otherwise, it's just the same group of players just being asked to do certain things differently. It can work. I think Bayern Munich were a good example last season when Kovac got pinged and then they got uh, Hansi Flick in and it sort of changed overnight almost. But that can just be a new bit of energy in the in the side but honestly I, I'm so bored of talking about Celtic and Lennon yeah, and but, they're going to be JJ, fine the other thing as well is you, you say what 18 months to f- see the real effect of a manager it's probably coming up to that for, for Lennon so this is this is Lennon's side and it's you know we're feeling well I take your point Celtic Andrew, are feeling the effect of Lennon's you, uh, team please move on <laughs> is, is, this media, is, is this just media talk though is it just the media looking for some yes. sort of a big story to, to ramp it up in the, the, the race of the ten? but we are media going well. can't just say the media yeah. we are the f- media okay <laughs> okay I'll be more specific is it is it tabloid journalists looking for clickbait headlines um, putting pressure on Neil Lennon and reflecting what the fans are saying just to to get some sort of juicy story out there so that it's well, all part headlines of the reflect what people are looking for though don't they that's the thing so like mm-hmm. if fans are wanting to read about it like I, I clicked on a thing in the Daily Record today which is about uh, five referee incidents that uh, Lennon was moaning about and they're like he's, mm-hmm. he's at it because he's all wrong I think we should really I mean I know Celtic are having this, this terrible crisis and the stadium's going to be on fire in a couple of days but uh, we should talk about um, the semi-final coming up that Aberdeen and Celtic have got to play in and what will likely happen and whether Lennon will change his system here because he went with a different um, shape in this game it was uh, more of a 4-2-3-1 which has often worked against Aberdeen and I think one of the things you notice in this game is that Rogic played makes a huge difference as soon as Brown and um, Griffiths came on the things seem to work again like the players are making this work and I think mm-hmm. that's one thing they've got but Aberdeen are really really good in this game and I think when Scott Wright came on that changed a lot of the way the game went. McGeech went off with an injury, which meant McCrory came back inside midfield. I think we'll see McCrory and uh, Ferguson in the middle. Probably it'll be exactly the same system for Aberdeen in the semi-final. Um, but I'd imagine Wright and Hedges will start behind Cosgrove if he's fit. Because what a difference Cosgrove made when he came on. Suddenly yeah. you've got a guy up top you can hit the ball into quickly and then you can lay off with those two guys who are fast behind. And that can make all the difference. And I wonder what Lennon will do with his, with his shape whether he goes with the back three again. Can we also touch on just touch on how crazy this competition actually is right now? It's um, it's getting played because obviously they wanted to hold off and wait for the fans to be back in the stadium. That is not going to be the case, but they have to get the competition finished before the next competition starts for sponsorship reasons. But the weirdest thing for me is the last time Johnny Hayes played for Celtic, it was in a Scottish Cup match for the nineteen twenty season, and then in the next round. He's going to be playing for Aberdeen. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Good. The, the, He's not yeah, the SPFL did say that the um, that they would allow that because it's the same for uh, Craig Gordon as well. It's, I think oh, yeah, he played in the Scottish Cup for Celtic, and he he can play for Hearts. It is nuts. <laughs> that is just, it makes a mockery of this whole situation. Yeah, but the whole situation is nuts. So yeah. it's, it's kind of it's bizarre. But why was this just not canned at the same time as the league? And honestly, sponsorship I mean, reasons. I think, I think I think we all know the reason. Yeah. It'd be it'd be nice to win a trophy for any of those clubs there, but I don't think anyone surely would argue it's not quite as big. I mean, the whole point of getting to a cup final is you get the big day out to handle. Oh yeah, is the this is the worst season the for a team to win a, a cup? Yeah. I, I, as much and as much as every supporter is going to want their team to win a cup, it's just 
it's 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 a bit heartbreaking to think well, this about is, having this, this year. The, the the headlines will be um, that Celtic have the chance for a quadruple treble. Um, that might not happen uh, if Aberdeen get their way. But we should not Aberdeen but, win. Oh yeah, but I was going to finish with Aberdeen JJ because. Um, the match was probably a good tribute for, for former manager Ebi Skovdal, um, who passed away on Friday after a long battle with cancer. You you said you met Skovdal a bit before. I met Ebi, yeah. It must have been, oh God, I can't remember what year it was. I was obviously very young. But um, one of my, I know a guy who works at the, the club. I know a few people who work at the club. And apparently all the stories from Ebi coming about is that uh, he was playing a midfield diamond, like a 4-1-3-2, which you may recognise from Championship Manager 97-98 as the, the ideal winning tactic. Scofield <laughs> was a pioneer of that. He also brought in things like double training sessions and uh, sports science. Um, he brought in mattresses so people could sleep, all that kind of thing. He smoked an awful lot of cigarettes. But I didn't notice any of that when I met him and tried to recommend to him players I had signed off Championship Manager. And I think... <laughs> I think it was Tonton Zolo Mukoko who I recommended hard to him. And he was just going, yeah, uh-huh. Okay, boy, see you later. <laughs> Signing that shirt outside the stadium. We never signed Tonton Zolo Mukoko, but uh, I like to think that Ebby did then. I mean, I mean, he was using the diamond from, from Championship Manager, so maybe I did influence him. It's all my, all my doing, but yeah. Maybe very he well, did we- indeed look into him. Did reach some cup finals under Ebby. The football was never great. at a season ticket. It was pretty horrible. We went loads of games without scoring. Uh, it all kind of fell apart. But he had uh, high stock because he came from Bronby, where he'd done quite well in Denmark. And uh, he's still the only ever um, non-British manager to be in charge of Aberdeen. So there you go. R.I.P. Ebby. R.I.P. Uh, up next, we talk about this cursed COVID controversy. At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your 4-plus-fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg on an exclusive exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus big gamble The Totally Football Shows and The Athletic are delighted to be supporting Football Aid for the months of October and November. Bid now at footballaid.com to get your hands on some incredible football memorabilia, including signed shirts from Steven Gerrard, Gianluca Vialli, Gareth Bale and even Peter Crouch's boots. Find out more, get bidding and support the cause at footballaid.com. For the second weekend in a row, St Mirren had to postpone their Premiership fixture after four more positive coronavirus cases. They only had 11 outfield fit registered players and their match with Motherwell was postponed last Saturday when they were only left with eight available outfield players. The SPFL have launched an investigation into the club over the cancellations as to whether any protocols have been breached. Ali Niven got in touch at The Totally Show on Twitter and said, I would love to hear Finn Mark's thoughts on the SPFL board's handling of the situation. And you know what, Ali? That's how you get booked on this show. So hello, Finn. Welcome (laughs) aboard. What the hell is going on at St Mirren? (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Um, I I mean... I spent quite a bit of time this weekend really trying to look over everything that's gone on recently, not just St Mirren, but with Kelly and various other bits and pieces around it. And it's pretty difficult to get to the bottom of it. I think there's still pretty rigorous testing going on. 
all the time for the players. Um, and I think the clubs are trying their best to to adhere to that. I mean, I guess the SPFL didn't have much choice in launching an investigation. This is the fourth time, I think, St Mirren have had a kind of health incident since July um, around COVID uh, with a number of different you know, incidents with their coaching staff and false positives. There was the whole thing around their goalkeepers being wiped out because of self-isolating that led to the emergency loan deal for Zlamal from Hearts and and then this most recent outbreak. So I, I don't know, something doesn't seem to be going quite right there. It's not just St Mirren as well, because Kilmarnock as well are going to face an SPFL disciplinary hearing for, for allegedly breaching COVID-19 regulations because um, their match was postponed against Motherwell on the 2nd of October. Kilmarnock have tweeted the club will defend our position. So what are the planned kind of punishments that could face these clubs after these investigations? I mean, to be honest, I think that's actually one of the major issues of where we are right now. There aren't really clearly defined punishments in place for when a club can't fulfil a fixture. And and this goes back to July when uh, the SPFL lost the vote to take control of what would happen potentially if the, with the league not being able to be fulfilled. Um, I think that's something we'll come on to in the moment. But for me, there should have been a clearly defined and agreed set of punishments and protocols, like what should happen if the league can't be completed. That should all have been agreed before a ball was even kicked this season. I, I don't think we should have started the season without that legislation in place. There's nothing even in place of... A- Say the, say the season had to end early. There's nothing even in place there now, is there, still? In fact, it was this week, in light of the, the incidents at St Mirren and Kilmarnock, that the SPFL have kind of been forced into action and starting up this dialogue again that hasn't really been there since that vote happened in, in the summer. So they released the questionnaire this week to all 42 clubs of the SPFL um, to try and gauge opinion on a number of different issues, like what if the season can't be completed, on whether league matches should be forfeited when a club can't fulfil a fixture, how many matches they think it would take uh, before a valid final placings can be can be decided, rather than declaring the season null and void. I, I think the SPFL, Neil Doncaster, the Joint Response Group and the SFA, there hasn't really been any clear structure or leadership throughout any of this. I know that Neil Doncaster and the SPFL don't have a crystal ball. They've said that. And to be fair to them, obviously, nobody could have predicted the events of this year. But this is the world we've been living in for eight months now. We're amidst uh, a pandemic that was always, always going to have an impact on playing staff and the different clubs around the country. And to me, the SPFL should have been on the front foot this whole time. They should have been in constant dialogue. They should have been, for once proactive rather than reactive which kind of seems to be their default position on everything they should have been much much stronger in dealing with not just the situation amongst um the different member clubs of the spfl but i think with the scottish government i think they've Mm. been very weak in dialoguing with the government and almost kind of like saying uh you know it's not our fault look what the government's making us do I, i don't think that's good enough i think this was a time that really called for leadership and I, again, they've kind of been found wanting. I'll throw a question to Laura because with your work at Motherwell, um, you deal with the players kind of a lot, so you kind of understand what their their protocols are. So, what what do the players have to deal with on a day to day basis? 
Yeah, well, I mean, at Motherwell, the media team are, are linked in with the, the coaching staff and the, the squad in that sense. So we're all kind of treated as equals um, in terms of the protocols we all have to, to, to live by right now. If I was to talk you through a day in the life of what it's like here, you come in the morning, you fill in a track and trace um, on arrival, which is to mark down your symptoms or lack of symptoms, so be it. Um, you get your temperature checked and we get tested once a week. Um, that is protocol now across... It was, it was previously two, twice a week, now it's once a week. We all wear a mask around the club, um, indoors and outdoors. That was in place long, long before the government changed their regulations, um, only in the last kind of week or two. Um, every room is limited to a certain number based on the size of the room, so a lot of um, teams have changed offices. The boys themselves are split over three dressing rooms, so on average you'll get maybe six to a room, depending on the size. Breakfast is served now by the, the chef and his staff rather than a buffet. Everyone sits at a designated table, which is two metres apart. Cutlery is all set out for them, which indicates that the tables have been sanitised in between people sitting there. Team meetings have moved to a bigger room. Uh, travel, um, they travel to training in individual cars. They wear a mask in the gym and they, they can still socialise inside working hours around the club but they must wear a mask at this time um, and indoors they've got to stay distanced. Um, obviously that's a bit more relaxed outdoors. And, and above and beyond all that, what's different to the normal person right now um, and the restrictions we all kind of face as, as normal kind of members of the public, the players are not allowed to go and sit in a cafe or a restaurant. They've been advised by their clubs to, well, at least at least at Motherwell anyway, um, to not go and sit in cafes or restaurants, to not go and get food or anything. It's just kind of drive-throughs and, and takeaways only. So, I mean, football is going above and beyond right now and being one of the most tested industries in the country and everything's very strict right now at Motherwell. And this is the thing, right, because we're in a pandemic and um, we've heard from... Alex Dyer, the commandant manager, has said, you know, you cannot stop yourself from getting it. You can only prevent it as best as you can. Why are the SPFL looking to appoint some blame? Why is there not just more, a bit more understanding? That's, I just kind of want to pick up on that. Our um, manager, obviously, Stephen Robinson, had mentioned um, in the press conference on Friday that Motherwell had one positive COVID test. And it wasn't to to alarm anyone or cause worry or anything. It was it was almost to humanise it. Um, this is happening across many different industries right now, many different football clubs, and it's it is going to happen. It is it's normal, and the pro the protocols are in place to prevent the spread. So if a player does get it, th there's no cause for panic. It's fine. We'll, we'll deal with that. Obviously, we we want the best health for that individual player. Then players are, everyone is retested again. Um, not Sorry, not retested, they're, they're tested a second time just to make sure there's been nothing passed on. But that's where the protocols come into to, to force, really. You, you, can, uh, you see then just how much impact it's having and that shows you just how much it's working because one odd case is not a, a problem. It becomes a problem when the protocols are then not working. Got one last question for Finn before we go. Uh, if... Say that the next couple of Rangers games were uh, postponed because the other team had a coronavirus outbreak and Celtic were to win those by many goals um, and went top of the league and were technically points per game going to win. Then the league was cancelled. Would that count as 10 in a row? <laughs> God, you're opening a whole can of worms there, JJ. I, I, I'm pretty I sure... <laughs> I'm sure... 
Celtic fans would say yes, it's 10 in a row. Rangers fans would say no. Um, uh, but, you know, going in current form, that might not be a question that's that's uh, more than hypothetical. Uh, I think actually maybe in some ways Rangers fans are kind of hoping for the league to be stopped uh, before the kind of now <laughs> clockwork regimented post-Christmas collapse from them. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting just on what Laurid said there, like, I think, I mean, there's rumour and innuendo and Twitter hearsay, conspiracy theories, all the rest of it. That always goes on in Scottish football anyway. And I think, you know, maybe there are things that have been going on behind the scenes at different clubs that we don't know about. But in the main, I think it's fair to say that the clubs are trying their best to comply with not just the SPFL protocols, but the government protocols and local restrictions too. And there was something that Pine Bovril said on Twitter this week that I thought was was worth mentioning where they said it's worth reiterating that football players are not operating in a a, a bubble that they're going into their own households they've got kids they've got partners who are out leading the same lives as as the rest of us and like this was always going to be something that happens i do just think that it's you know neil doncaster said if there's found to be concerns at st mirren or kilmarnock that would go to a disciplinary in front of the subcommittee at the SPFL board, which is, uh, which has those kind of like broadly unlimited powers to impose sanctions. But again, for me, it, this all comes back to a lack of leadership from the SPFL, the SFA and the Joint Response Group. I don't think we should be in this position of uncertainty where we're kind of just making it up as we go along. You know, if you look at almost every other organisation in the world um, of almost any size, they have you know, disaster management contingencies. That's planning for the worst case scenarios and what to do in those circumstances, no matter how unlikely. And I just can't fathom how those at the top of our game didn't contend that what was going to happen uh, right now would actually happen. And I, I know people might say that the SPFL have kind of been hamstrung by the government's involvement, but I still think they should have taken a far, far stronger stance when dialoguing with the government and, and what we've been going through for the last eight months. And to me, once again, it's just, it's a clear lack of thinking. It's a lack of strategy, a, la- a lack of leadership. And that's leading us potentially a, as, a, as a national sport into another very vulnerable, volatile and kind of unpleasant place that we were in in the summer. Finn Marks, thanks very much, mate. Um, I mentioned Kilmarnock just earlier. Their game with Hibs went ahead, um, but it didn't go to plan. Kevin Nisbet with the only goal of the game at Rugby Park from the penalty spot. I mean, what a season he's having, but his strike partner, Christian Deutsch, did all the hard work. But was it inside the box? He was the one who was fouled, but was it inside the box? I think it was um, Clever Dicamona, wasn't it? The contact's outside, he comes in. Uh, Alex Dyer was a bit annoyed, he thinks it was really soft anyway, but I mean... It's a bit clumsy from the boy. He doesn't know he's there. I think it was a bit harsh to book him. I don't think he knew he was coming. Mm. <laughs> he's trying to hook it away and gets caught. Uh, it's weirdly like Deutsch, um So what he's he's like on ninety nine goals in his career so far. Yeah. He this season see, he scored a lot last season. He's a bit of a poacher, and I know Jack Ross likes playing two strikers together. Uh, and in, in the the way that he was playing, I mean, he lined up with a four four two in this game, but it's. Uh, it's actually a 4-3-3 because Boyle comes forward. We talk about this quite often. It was exactly the same thing that Kamarnik do 
they have Burke that comes forward and, and joins in. So the, so Kilmarnock looked like a four one four one, but then the left forward who is Kilty gets forward up in attack, and then you've got your right who's Burke and joins it in a three. So they're both quite similar in the way they look. Doidge's <laughs> XG is five point seven eight, and he's only scored three. So he's he should be closer to where Nisbet is. Not taking penalties, obviously, because it's a few of them and a free kick. Um, I think he'll come good because we know he can score. It's just a bit of confidence, maybe. Well, I think I think he's I think his work rate has upped um, in recent games, despite him not scoring goals. Um, but that's, I mean, I, the, the underlying stats show that he is in positions to score goals. He's just not quite getting them yet, so it should level out. His bit's been great though, hasn't he? Eighth goal of the season, top scorer from the prem- in the Premiership. He's been on fire since joining Hibs. I've really been impressed with him so far. Um, I liked what he said about when he took the penalty he played against uh, Danny Rogers last season when he was at Falkirk when Rogers was at Falkirk and uh, he knew what side he was going to go to for the penalty so good right? bit of research slash memory action there from, <laughs> from this bit um, I think yeah that's kind of something that the analysis side of the game they definitely look at penalties and the, the habits of the goalkeepers and stuff like that so I like that from him would you put him in a Scotland squad? I th- it's certainly knocking on the door for me. Would you I, as a poacher, I, I, yeah, I think. I would agree. I mean, the, the Scotland squad's going to get announced this week at some point for the, the triple header in November. Um, I, I'm not by any means saying throw him in, play him. Not, I'm not saying that at all, but I think he's definitely knocking on the door. Well, when you think into, when you take into account Lauren Shanklin's been in the last few Scotland squads and Kevin Nisbet is by far outperforming uh, Shanklin, so he, he should be getting involved um, but let's keep focusing on Hibs because they've out with the, the Celtic and Rangers games Hibs have only conceded five goals in ten premiership games and I, I saw if you look into um, Hibs last season they threw 27 points away from winning positions last season and under under Jack Ross that soft underbelly seems to be almost eradicated they're a far better team at holding on to leads and okay they may have been fortunate to take the lead in this game but they certainly are a much better team um overall under jack ross yeah like 100 i think a lot of that has been um how good mcginn's been hanlon's been excellent we talk about this so often but alex gogic makes all the difference in midfield i think joan yeah. rule has been excellent um which is another thing they're good. I mean, this so it's weird. Alex Dyer was talking about this game being a he, he thought is very very even. And if you take out uh, Nisbet's penalty, XG's but they're basically even. Kilmarnock and Hibs. Yeah. It's a game that I mean the two teams are very well suited. Both managers are making sure they're hard to to beat. First of all, there's a bit of analysis on the sports scene on on Saturday uh, that is well <laughs> it sounds a bit patronising. It's entirely correct. Stephen Naismith talk about it. But um, Kilmarnock are kind of struggle to play out. They they rely a lot on getting the ball to a guy up top, Kabamba at the moment, and then playing off of him. And uh, Hibs just squeezed up. And you, you have um, you look at their average formation lines, a really nerdy stat. But Hibs in the second half just pushed their lines like right up the pitch. So Kilmarnock were kind of squashed, and they don't want to play out from the back. But because Hibs are pushed so far forward, Kelly just don't have a way to to play out. So although Kelly had more of the ball. It was all in very um, 
it, it often they'd launch it forward, you headed back in, they'd pass the round sideways, and Hibs would press them. And uh, that's kind of what's happening. And Hibs are set up to hit them on the counter-attacks, which makes them stronger defensively, which helps with the, these defensive stats they've got. But also means that they can use a pace of boil to get, get up the right. And it means that they've also got... Uh, one of the changes they made at half-time, actually, was he put uh, Josh Doigon on for Stevenson. So on the left, suddenly you had a guy who gets further forward straight away. So you get more attack on the left. It's a bit more balanced on both sides. And uh, that made a big difference for them as well. Yeah, Stevenson's injured. I think Doidge is going to be getting a bit more game time because he t- he took him out after a couple of um, disappointing games. But Doidge has been excellent coming in so Doig. far this season. Doig, apologies. Kumanic, <laughs> uh, no shots on target for them in this game. They will be worried. But like you said, I think Dyer wasn't too uh, wrong by saying this was a fairly even game. Um, yeah, but the, the reason they're not getting shots no is because they can't construct chances, and, and if you squeeze them up, they just got no other way at the moment to score. It mm-hmm. relies heavily on Burke producing something from one v one play in, on the wing, Kilty as well. Like Kilmarnock play best when they're against this sounds stupid against lower ranked teams because they're able to play a bit more. But when they come up against teams better than them, they don't. They're trying to play as though they're matched up. And to an extent, they sort of are, but I think Hibs has had a little bit extra. But then that said, it's only a penalty that separated them. So Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to be discussing the Edinburgh Derby later in the podcast, but Laura actually got to go to a game this weekend, and we're going to talk about that next. I don't know about you, listener, but these days, you know, when you're doom-scrolling through the news on Twitter or you're just bewildered by who Man United haven't signed this week or you're swiping through your dating apps, yes, apps, plural, it can be pretty hard to find the hours in the day to sit down and just learn more. And if you think you don't have the time to develop yourself, you need to check out Blinkist. Blinkist is for anyone who's time poor but wants to be knowledge rich. The app takes the key insights from over 3,000 non-fiction bestsellers and gathers them together in 15-minute blinks, which are text and audio explainers that help you understand more about the core ideas. 12 million people are already using Blinkist to deepen their knowledge in areas like personal growth, management, leadership, mindfulness and happiness, and I am one of them. I like to get my daily walks in, and recently I've been listening to the very excellent and influential Think Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And next up is Mark Manson's New York Times bestseller, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F***. You'd hope that one of those two will help me live my best life. Blinkist want to give you a free seven-day trial and 25% off their premium membership. All you need to do is head to Blinkist.com slash athletic. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash athletic. Come on, what are you waiting for? Take out your seven-day trial today and get 25% off at Blinkist.com slash athletic. Blinkist. Big ideas in small packages. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show from Muddy Knees Media and The Athletic. Devante Cole is in again here to finish it off. A fourth for Motherwell. Rampant in this second half. Devante Cole gets in on the act. So Motherwell against Ross County. Uh, first game for you, Laura. Happy days. And a happy day for Motherwell indeed. 4-0. How was it? God, it felt like coming back after a... A summer break. It was four weeks. That's a long time to not have a game. Um, but no, the team didn't look rusty at all. Um, looked really sharp. I think they've been working really hard in training to kind of replicate a match pressure, fitness levels and things. Doing a lot of running, um, like you would in a pre-season, to try and get up to speed. Um, and it looked very strong. Tony Watt involved in absolutely everything that was going on yeah. the pitch. Absolutely outstanding for us. Um, 
he was involved in every goal. He scored the first, he won the penalty for the second, um, assisted the third, sorry, won the corner for the third and assisted the fourth. Um, and there was a clearance off the line from him as well. He was defending <laughs> and, with his yeah. heart too. And defending as well. It's just he's, It was an all-round performance from him. He looked very strong, um, very kind of hard-working, good reading of the game as well. Um, I think he's done a lot of work during this um, period off. Uh, he was tweeting a lot during it, saying how much he was missing the football, um, and I think that kind of that hunger came through because the, the confidence is sky high from just now. And another one I'd kind of, along with what we're saying, but Nisbet, I uh, recommend him for just kind of in the eye for Scotland, just sort of keep him on the radar. I think he'd be a good kind of replacement for Lyndon Dykes in the number nine role if anything was to happen to him. He's somebody that can can slot into that that position. He's done it before for Scotland. I know he's not had a lot of call ups, but he's he's had an appearance before. Yeah. Um, and I think now he's really kind of getting his head in the game. I think he's 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 finding coaches that are are working well with him and vice versa. Um, he's really kind of striking a bond there. He's fitter than ever before. I think Stephen Robinson was saying it post match is when he came in he thought he was fit, um, and now he he's uh, been put to the paces and he realises he's actually fit now. Um, and I think that's kind of shown. I think everyone's kind of reaping the, the rewards of that. Laura, would you say this is a 4-0 game? Because it seemed like Ross County got kind of hard done by... Motherwell deserved to win, don't get me wrong, like, not for a minute, but it seemed like 4 was... Uh, they seemed much more in it than that. They were, they were in it. It was, it was more kind of... Similar to what we were talking about with Celtic Aberdeen, it all kind of happened in the second half. It was very even to start with. Um, and up until the first goal kind of opened, the, opened up just before half-time, it was a great time to get the goal from a Motherwell perspective. I would argue if it had ended anything less, it was it would have been fair. But to be honest, see towards the end of the game, Ross County weren't offering much. It all kind of came earlier on in the match. So no, I think I think that in terms of the the confidence that Motherwell are showing right now, I think it was a, a good result for them, and it it kind of it can hopefully spur on their season. Um, in that sense, the, there were some huge chances though for Ross County, particularly for Ross Stewart. There was two back to back. I'm trying to figure Ross County out at the moment. So statistically, we look at the underlying bits. I'm talking about expected goals again. Uh, seem to come back to you all the time. But they've underperformed scoring goals. They've scored 4.5 goals fewer than they should have. And they've also conceded um, 4.8 more than they than they should have. So they are, so that the conceded suggests that either the goalkeeper is rubbish and, uh, and letting in shots that he shouldn't. And they've changed the goalkeeper. So it was uh, Laidlaw. Ross Laidlaw has been in goal for the, most of the season and changed it to Ross Duhan. And he got a clean sheet against Hibs last week and then obviously shipped four in this game. I'm not sure how much of that was his fault, to be fair. Um, but that's one of the things. But up front, you've got pl- players like Stewart who are missing chances that should be. I like Stewart. Uh, but you've also got... I mean, if you look at individuals that are, are missing them, uh, what have we got in Ross County? Yeah, Stewart's uh, really underperforming. Um, you've got Lee Irwin, who's underperforming. It's, it's, it's really harsh to pick on these individuals. Billy Mackay as well is another one. But across their team, like Regan Charles Cook's missing chances, little bits of decision making in, in the final action, I think, is letting them down. But um, the weird thing is that I like how Ross County line up because it's essentially the the actual template for Johan Cruyff's dream uh, <laughs> dream <laughs> formation. It's a three one four one one. So it looks like there's a, a bunch of players through the middle of the pitch. Because Motherwell lined up in quite a narrow 4-3-3, all the width came from the fullbacks. they basically had overloads in every single part of the pitch where they needed to. Um, so it, it's, it sounds good on paper, but I wonder whether it actually works for Ross County, this. It's, yeah, I need to spend more time. I spent a bit of time looking at it this week, but I can't quite figure it out. Clearly, good it enough. clearly isn't working, because um, that's four games with a, a win or a goal scored in the league. 
and I think they've only scored one in the last seven league games. They even had to rely on penalties to beat Montrose in the League Cup earlier this month. So it's not that they're in they're in trouble for confidence. If anything, they just need a little bit of break. Let's talk about the league leaders. Rangers uh, won two 0 against Livingston on Sunday. Two early goals for for Gerard. Did they seem to kind of you know kill Livingston's spirit in the first twenty minutes? Um, but obviously, let's highlight Jermaine Defoe because his goal, which was. Maybe better than Kimar Roofs. Delete the 300, 300 professional goals um, for him, and he capped it off pretty spectacularly, to be fair. Maybe uh, maybe more it was about Tavernier's delivery, more than anything. Yeah, lovely goal. Rangers totally dominated this game. It had yeah. just, it just had all of it. I think the possession and fin- the final total was like 70 to 30 split. Libby just lined up behind the ball. Um, you know, there's some teams you don't, you're really not sure what their identity is and how they play. Uh, Livy is quite clear. They have had <laughs> more uh, long passes than any other team by quite a significant amount. Something like 809 of their passes have been long ones. You know, you can't really guarantee the accuracy. It's always near about 50%. And uh, But they also had more touches in the opposition area, apart from anyone apart from Celtic and Rangers. Their, their plan is to get the ball forward as quickly as possible, as high and as long as possible, and go from there. And it's not, it's not been great. And I, I think it kept Rangers relatively quiet. Like, I mean, they didn't, it's only two scores, and there weren't a huge number of chances, but that's what people do against Rangers now. They just want to try and shut it down because sure. you know it's coming. Defoe's getting his 300th goal, though. See, when you say that, for a guy who's had 21 years of his career, I would, on initial viewing, think that's not that impressive. But when you break it down, <laughs> He's made five, so over 500 appearances, right? And when you actually calculate it, it's a goal every, It's better than a goal every two games. Yeah, and he's a great player. On yeah. average, so I worked out it's on average, it's 25 appearances a season, which is with 14 goals a season. And for that, I would, I would take that. Now, he is a player who's played at a higher level, who has came up to Scotland and doing very, very well. Because when he is being asked to be involved... Um, he does a very, very good job for, for Rangers. On that note on Defoe as well, one of the things I think is good about Rangers this season is they don't rely on just that one single scorer. They're chipping in from everywhere. Yeah. So they've not been dependent on just Morelos or, or whoever. They're dangerous forever, but they're so hard to break down. And they've got leaders all over the pitch now. Gerard is really starting to look like he knows exactly what he's doing and the planning has taken this long to get it right. The 18 months thing, you can see it here. This is what is his third season. And you can see it's really coming in and it, they just look... Very, very good. But like you, Finn, you, you probably had a lot of Rangers fans calling for for his head, you know, like trying to, you know, make sure that he wasn't going to be there at Rangers this season. But it just goes to show you, know, time makes up for so much. I think Gerard was quoted saying when he first came in at Rangers, a lot of players who were there were quite intimidated by him mm. um, and interested to see how he would get on. Um, and it's it's true that they're, they're they're showing the fruits of of um, stability and sticking with a manager because there was a lot of upheaval um, over the last 10 years. But Rangers keeping clean. stability. Yeah. I like that. 13 clean sheets, <laughs> 16 games, all competitions this season. Um, it's looking very... I think this this is their best chance um, for a long time to stop Celtic. And we have a podcast title. <laughs> Uh, in terms of Livingston, they're ninth level on points with Motherwell, uh, who they host next Saturday. But let's finish with St Johnston's stalemate with Dundee United. No eight goal thrillers in this game. Um, they got meloned. <laughs> <laughs> That's from uh, producer Charlie. This was another 
brutal game for Dundee United fans to watch. They've not been playing well recently at all. Nope. No shots on target. Seagrass saves the day yet again. It, it feels like it's the same story we're, we're talking about every week. The, yes, they're making, Mellon's making them hard to beat, but when you're not playing attractive football, how long can that really go on for? It's, I, mean, I would say a long time, honestly. Like, I think it's fine being hard to beat. It's just, I think the problem they've got is uh, looking looking at how they play and the way they create chances. And they've got players like I mean, Clark is expected to assist and score quite a few. You've got Shanklin who should expect to score more. But it's not that they're not creating chances, it's that they can't really construct play in the first place. So if you look at any of the, under the passing statistics and Weisskick going right through it, they're sort of bottom middle of every single one. So they will hit, um, let's have a think how I can bring up a stat that'll help us here. Uh, they don't hit that many long balls, but they don't play as many short passes as other teams. They don't play as many smart passes or through balls as other other sort of teams. And I wonder if Mellon's just making sure that, first of all, they cannot be beaten, and then you just go from there. Like, a lot of managers do this, and they get success out of it. It's mostly what Kilmarnock did. They're hard to break down, and then you'll get a lucky goal now and again, a bit of confidence. If you know that you're not going to get beaten, it gives you a good start for any game. I think what's key for Mickey Mellon uh, this season... He's probably feeling the effects of the transitional elements of being, you know, coming in and taking taking charge of a team that have just been promoted, and trying to manage expectations from a, a United fan base who probably expect to be easily in the top six after winning the championship, but at the same time, Mellon's still trying to figure out which players are going to follow him into the next season and which players aren't good enough to be at this level and he's still you know he's brought in the likes of McNulty he's got this lad in um, who seems to have good pedigree Giando Fuchs but he doesn't really have that creative midfielder anymore um, I don't see the, the likes of Harks being that person that provides the kind of um, assist making that the likes of McNulty Shankland and Clark need and that's the problem with Dundee United they, they just need to consolidate this season already we're that early and I kind of feel like they need to just make sure that they're doing enough so that they don't get into any sort of relegation battle sure and then St Johnston uh, just to mention them because we haven't really talked about them yet they're they're quite similar to uh, Ross County that they're underperforming at both ends of the pitch so they're mm. they've not scored as many as they should be expected to they've let in far more than they should one of the problems that St Johnston have is that, uh, well, some of their underperformance is that so many of their chances are dependent on crosses. So the, the way they work the ball is always wide. They've hit more crosses than anyone else in the league so far. 249, Rangers are next in 248 because they have more of the ball. But if you don't have big strikers in the box, I don't know how well crossing from wide works. If you're drilling it along the floor, sure enough, that's a way to do it. But if it's been hooked in, you need someone who can attack that and get on the end of it. And if the plan is to do the Sheffield United thing where the centre-back overlaps, they need to be there every single time to get on the end of the, of the cross, and they're not. And they've got no one that can really knock it down to try and give them the chance at getting someone from a second ball. So it's all... like, like I can see the strategies there, but yeah. it's not really working. No, I agree. Well, still to come, we look ahead to the Europa League and the Scottish Cup. But up next, it's FFS. Obviously, when I say FFS... That is Fantasy Football Scotland. Um, they tweeted on Saturday night to congratulate Tony Watt on a goal and an assist. 
At which point, Watt pointed out it was actually two assists because he won the penalty. Uh, is Watt a good pick? Um, we know Motherwell have got a few games in hand. Stephen Robinson said Watt was unplayable on Saturday. Well, that means um, you can't put Watt in the team because you won't play him. <laughs> <laughs> this is my number one hatred in football language. He's unplayable. No, unplay against the ball. It just doesn't sound nice, does it? Because unplayable no. makes no sense. I hate it. There you go. Super playable. Yeah, there, there you go. Super playable. Maybe that should yeah. be a thing. You know how, like in America, they have certain things like they're the most winningest team. That's a yes. genuine phrase in America that they well, use. Like that. Maybe we should adopt some of these things. Well, um, anyway, should what win the team? What do you think? It depends on how you play your team. If because you only get one transfer week, if you're constantly changing one player around depending on what the fixture is that weekend, yes. Because Motherwell have got Livingston on Saturday, and if he continues his good form, then great. But the week after. Celtic come to Fair Park and I wouldn't be hedging my bets on putting strikers from other teams in when they're playing one of the old firm teams Yeah, um, so yes if you're doing it on a game by game basis yes I think Tony Watt was good for next weekend but maybe not in the long term mm. Any other tips for us league leader Laura Brandon? <laughs> I, I mean it's, it's, it seems obvious but go with Rangers players and go with Rangers yeah. defenders because they're yeah. doing so well in terms of clean sheets and scoring goals and if you haven't got Tavernier in your team right now there's no point in you even competing because you're not good <laughs> enough to compete if you're so stupid to not have him in your team right now. Hello. Well, I've got it. I've... In terms I don't of have him in my team. <laughs> In terms of differentials uh, for players to look out for, uh, the one I can think is quite maybe a good one to look at is Ross uh, Callaghan at uh, Callaghan Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton because he's really cheap for one, but he's got a few points already. He's on 24 points. He's 2.8 million. But also um, his expected goals this season is 3.44. So he should, you know, if once it levels out, he should end up with a few goals himself. He gets involved in a, a lot of the attacking play that Hamilton have, and they've they should be able to get some wins coming up in the next little while now. So that'd be my little pick. Also, Josh Doyle will be back in the Hibs team. They don't really concede. He's cheap, um, and he gets forward a lot for assists. So explain this to me as as someone who started so well and is now miserably uh, <laughs> near the bottom end of the table. Um, I still have you know all my perks. What should I be using? Should I just change my team completely and use my wild card, or or what? Should I wait until the the international break? Tell me, tell me what oh, to I do. I would tend to save my wild card for sometime like February. See, once the kind of January period has died down and teams are kind of into their last that kind of business end of the season, you kind of get a sense of who is kind of got the form for the rest of the season and who's dipping off. Uh, I would I would save my wild card for now. I think it's it's too hectic a schedule we're going into. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for that good comfort. Um, let's get some odds now from Paddy Power, courtesy of the wonderful producer Charlie. And as we've mentioned, Charlie, the Scottish Cup semi-finals are back next weekend. Yeah, last season's Scottish Cup semis, as we've been uh, <laughs> saying. You mentioned it earlier, the quadruple treble. I think we'd all forgotten the quadruple treble was a thing. The last time I heard the phrase quadruple treble was when Andrew was at the bar at the Christmas party. (laughs) (laughs) But this time it's Neil Lennon saying make mine a quadruple treble and Paddy Power agree with him, making the holders two to five favourites to win the Scottish Cup. What about the other semi-finalists, Hearts v Hibs? 
Well, it's a big game for Hibs manager John James Ross. Could have gone by the name, <laughs> could have gone by the name JJ, but decided that would be ridiculous. Wise, so, a wise choice, yeah. Jack Ross, as he's more commonly known, really looking to make his mark at Easter Road with a Derby semi-final victory. Your boy Kevin Nisbet is five to one first goal scorer. Hearts are seven to five to emerge victorious. Hibs are six to four favourites to win this match, and then presumably face Celtic in the final. Paddy Power very much on brand going for a green, green final on green, green grass. Well, Charlie, everyone knows you're my BOI. You're my boy. Um, but you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Hearts might be a championship site, but we don't actually have long to wait for another Edinburgh derby because um, this Saturday on Halloween night Hearts will face Hibs in the first of last season's Scottish Cup semi-finals. We're joined now by Scott McIntosh from the Amoruso Let's It Run website. Uh, first Edinburgh derby Scott without fans how strange will it be? Will it be spectacular? Yes I hate myself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the risk of alienating any fans that he's have uh, from across the city divide, I would say that Hibs fans have been practising social distancing at Hamden for quite a while now uh, for these fixtures, so that shouldn't be too big a, uh, a culture shock for them. I really don't know what to make of this game. Uh, normally you can sort of, you know, put your hat on one of the sides being strong favourites, but I'm not quite sure that's the case. I would say in relative terms, both teams are looking pretty strong albeit in different leagues so mm-hmm. it's going to be a it's going to be a difficult one to try and sort of come up with a prediction for do you reckon lack of fans will make it um more of a tactical kind of bit and if that is the case how do you reckon both will approach it the biggest influence or the or, or the biggest sort of factor that the lackey fans have just now on footballers seems to be that mentality. There's certain players that I've seen even at Hearts. If you take Craig Whiten as an example, he mm. always looked like he was drowning in a maroon jersey when the crowd were on his back. But he seems to have almost been given a bit of a leasy life just for the fact that he doesn't have that that sort of added stress on top of just wanting to do well for himself or for his his teammates. So I do think that that can definitely have a, a bit of an impact. Impact. And that's what's making, you know, trying to predict games so difficult, you know, across the board, even going back to watching the first few games from Germany when lockdown had started, you know, you could see that, you know, a lot of away teams were, seem to be a bit more expansive, a bit more exciting to watch, referees now seem to be handling games a lot easier as well, so... Yeah, it's 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 all adding to the the whole sort of unpredictability of the event. And how how have you felt with the the appointment of Robbie Nielsen? Has he been warmly welcomed back amongst the Hearts fans? I think he has on a whole, but I think a lot of it's going to depend on what happens next. Uh, naturally. I wouldn't say he left under a cloud last time round. He'd done a very good job, but for a small section of the support, our performances and results against Hibs tended to overshadow a lot of the stuff that he'd managed to achieve in the two and a half years he was there. So I think of quite naturally, if we get a good result on Saturday, that's going to put to bed a lot of those previous sort of uh, murmurs of discontent. But again, if we lose the game, and if we lose the game in a manner that, you know, the fans aren't happy with, then naturally, you know, those previous ill feelings are probably going to resurface. And it'll be... 
it'll be hard to try and gauge just how how many fans feel that way because now you're having to rely on sort of social media and everything else, whereas in the past you could gauge on the, the reactions of the live crowd. So I think most people are quite happy with how he's, you know, tackled things since coming back. It, the recruitment, there seems to be at least a plan in place in terms of adding a bit of width and pace to the team uh, and addressing some of the issues we've had for two or three seasons in terms of it left back and in goals. But, but yeah, Saturday's, Saturday's probably as crucial to him in terms of his long-term relationship with Hearts fans as well as just in the short-term immediacy getting sort of bragging rights for a few months. Uh, it's a bit of a weird question, but because you can't go to the game or anything, are you are you really that fussed about getting to the final? <laughs> it's a strange one. I suppose if we weren't playing Hibs, I'd maybe have a different answer for you. But yeah, I, think yeah. when, I, I think because, of, again, just going back to the bragging rights you can enjoy with your friends off the back of the result, I think it's definitely still an important one. And again, it just... I think given that we're now in the championship, if this had been even like a third or fourth round tie and you're maybe, say, playing, I don't know, maybe even Rangers or Celtic at home, you'd be thinking, it's not that bad, you know. As long as we get out the game unscathed and we've got our players fit for getting ourselves out of the championship, it wouldn't matter. But, yeah, given the magnitude of the match, it's, there's just no way you can think that way. And hopefully the players and the managers aren't seeing it that way. OK, let's look... Ahead to the Europa League action that we've got on Thursday, we've got Rangers against Lech Poznan, where nobody will be doing the Poznan. Didn't, didn't Celtic adopt the Poznan? Yeah, for, for it the became huddle. the huddle. <laughs> yeah, it became the huddle, didn't it? Yeah. Um, po- Poznan currently mid-table in Poland. They were beaten 4-2 at home to Benfica last week. Um, kind of expect Rangers to do well again at home now. Yeah, they got a late equaliser as well yesterday to draw one each in the league. I think the, the it'll be interesting to see the the, the, the goalkeeper. Um, I, I don't know if I'm going to attempt to pronounce his name. Philip Bednarik. I'm just going to guess at that. Bednarik. Bednarik. Does, that sound, yeah. does that sound right? Okay, we'll go, yeah. we'll go with that. Um, it was, I think he's a bit starstruck by Gerard saying that um, he called him legendary and said it would be an incredible experience to meet him. But if you think he's going to be too starstruck to play against him, he also had a wee dig at Rangers saying that um, Spurs and AC Milan would have been the glamour ties to have got them in the league instead and getting Rangers means they've got more a chance of progressing so thanks to the keeper Gerard's team talk's now been done <laughs> yeah yeah that's an easy win for Rangers then um, Lille versus Celtic it's fair to say yeah it is a it is a daunting task Lille I think unbeaten top of Liga. they've got a great um, team man they've got a great yeah, team they've got right through it Jonathan Bamba Jonathan Davids Jonathan Akone all the Jonathans Renato Sanchez Benjamin Andre Jonathan David the one that was picked ahead of Morelos wasn't he to sign in the summer. Well, to sign him, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah right, but he's yeah. yet to score, so it'll be interesting. The way that uh, Lille play, it's a 4-4-2, and uh, Celtic, if they play their 3-5-2, that should help them a little bit with it in defensive phases. But I wonder how they're going to deal with Lille's attacking play. It's very, very, they're very, very quick in transition, especially, um, with really like tricky players on the on the wings. Um, Akone, Bamba and David especially are ones you need to watch out for. They could also come up against um, Timothy Weah, who had a short Celtic stint. Um, also played under Neil Lennon, but I don't think Neil Lennon fancied him that much. I wonder if he'll come on the pick. He's, he's still only 20 years old. Um, that could be an interesting one. Um, he's still only 20. 
And there won't be any um, there won't be any fans in the stadium either. I think they were hoping to get supporters in, but the nine pm curfew has been extended there, and mm. with the game kicking off at five to seven their time, they're not going to be able to get the fans in. I mean, they can let them in for the first half. <laughs> Give them something. <laughs> Go home at sixty minutes. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Maybe Celtic need the fans. I don't know. I think that's it for today. Thank you for listening, everyone, especially you, JJ for all your analysis. Thank you, Laura, for all your motherfulness and football chat. Finn Marks, thank you for SPFL chat. Amoroso Let's It Run, thank you. And especially thank you to Little Kicks for our lovely theme song. Thank you to producer Charlie, and my thank yous are now over. We'll be back next week after those Scottish Cup semis. Get it on. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. And be sure to check out our website, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Muddy Knees Media.